What is the benefit for your family at 29 years of service? Um, well, I, I'd like to think that I provided my daughter with a, uh, a, a decent education. She went through her, her you know, senior year, her freshman or senior year at a Department of Defense high school in, in Japan, a DOD high school. Uh, the, the, the learning is so much different there. Um, it, it was it was a great opportunity for her. I, I provided my daughter with the opportunity to travel around the world a little bit to kind of see a little bit of things. Um, I think at the end of the day, I was able to provide for my family. Uh, I know it was tough, like I said, many times on my wife having to be there by herself, but uh, she's a very independent woman and, and it really reinforced, reinforced her, her ability to, to be independent and not rely upon me uh, for things. And I, I think that just makes us a better family unit. You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and joining me today as guest host is Art Briggs. We're joined again by Bill. To hear the first part of Bill's story, you can go back now and listen to our previous episode. Welcome back, Art and Bill. For this portion, we're going to dive into your years of service. Yeah, thanks for having us, Alyssa. So, Bill, last time we were speaking, I was uh, asking about what it's like to take a, a, a woman that's pregnant, which is always easy to do anything with, uh, from California to New Hampshire. And then once you get there, decide you're going to go back in the Navy. And oh, by the way, good news, honey, we're going to move to Japan, which is on the other side of the world. Uh, for those that struggle with geography, what was it like as a young man communicating to your bride to be and your bride those uh, those changes in your life? Well, the you know obviously her leaving everything that she knew uh, to come to New Hampshire with me was a huge, huge uh, undertaking. So at least I knew I had that going for me that she was willing to to leave California, California to come to New Hampshire uh, and, 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 and live here at a place that she doesn't know anybody uh, and she doesn't had a, didn't have a job lined up. Uh, so I know, I knew she was somebody who was uh, okay uh, to some degree with some changes. Um, but one thing I didn't mention is my wife had been married and divorced uh, two other times before she met me. And, and, and both of those relationships lasted about six months. So she's also one who knows how to throw in the towel when things got a little sticky. So yeah, absolutely. I was concerned when I picked up the phone and contacted her to let her know. And by the way, we've got to move to Japan. Um, I didn't know if that was going to be a breaking point for her um, and whether or not that was something that she was going to be willing to do. And and I'm going to be honest, if she wasn't very happy about it at, at, at first, you know, she was uh, 
crying. She was very upset, uh, you know, of course, knowing that she wasn't going to be able to see her family, her friends, uh, even if she wanted to, the flight and the cost for the flight would have been, you know, astronomical to, to do a lot of traveling. Uh, so it was, it was quite an undertaking. We had a lot of conversations, but at the end of the day, you know, Petty Officer Goudreau, young third class, I, I was stuck. I, I, I had no choice. I, I, I was on the ship and I was going where the ship was going. Uh, you know, the, the alternative for us at that point would have been to either separate or uh, potentially, you know, try to undertake being a geographical bachelor where she might have been living in San Diego while I was, the, you know, going to Japan for the three years and then reuniting once we, we got back. So I, I really didn't know really what was going to happen or how it was going to, to, to unfold. But, you know, she's, she's a trooper and, and she decided to move, move forward with me. And, and she flew out to Japan at, on the, the last possible week she could have flown because she was about ready to hit her, th- her, her third trimester. They don't like you to fly when you're in your third trimester. So here she is. This, and by the way, she arrives in, in Japan and I wasn't even there to greet her because I was underway at the time. So I had to have somebody meet her uh, at the airport and they took her to the Navy Lodge. It, it was it was it was a lot of craziness. Um, but OK, Bill, we, 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 we get a lot of credit as veterans as being heroes. But uh, I just want to point out how brave your bride is at two, you know, just entering her third trimester and could have stayed in San Diego with family, with people that she knows and people that will be advocates for her. Not only did she fly to Japan, uh, she flew to Japan knowing you're at sea and that you're not even, you or her husband aren't able to be there to, hey, this is our house. Hey, this is, this is where we're going to live. This is where the store is. She simply got on a plane to to go to Japan to be there while you were at sea so that she could be there when you come home. And because she's been willing to say, hey, pound sand before, I mean, you're a pretty spectacular guy in her eyes at this point, right? <laughs> I, I like to think so. Uh, but yeah, but she absolutely is my hero uh, to 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 do the the time that she did you know, while I served. Um, she absolutely is, is my hero. Uh, she, again, a lot of relationships don't last, uh, and the military takes them down pretty, pretty heavily. Uh, you just, there's a lot of, there's a lot to expect, uh, a lot to put on, on a, on a spouse, uh, whether it's a male or female, uh, you know, to have to, to hold down the home front while, while, you know, the, the military members out there gallivanting around the world, you know, I'm, I'm out there seeing all foreign ports and, you know, and getting all these cool places and she gets to stay home and take care of our child and, and, and keep the house maintained and pay the bills. And uh, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot to expect somebody to do. And, and like I said, uh, I've always told her she's my hero. You know, she's, she stuck it out with me for a very long time and uh, you know, we're still together today. So uh, I, I got lucky and found the right one, I think. Yeah, I suppose so. How long have you guys been together now? Uh, we've been together about 30 years. 30, 30 years this year. Yeah, congratulations. She deserves a medal on a number of uh, occasions, it sounds like. Absolutely. So th- there you are. You're at sea. She gets to Japan. That's the beginning of uh, uh, a very long career. Walk us through some of the highlights of what you did. Um, not necessarily secret stuff, but like, 
what are some of your favorite memories of being in the Navy in that period of time, both for your family and for uh, you as a sailor? Well, I, I think I would categorize my career as kind of an average, you know, ordinary career. I, I left Japan and I got stationed back in San Diego in the same billet uh, that I was in before uh, when I was in that first four years. So I got to go on a lot of uh, little trips and, uh, and then I got picked up to uh, stand up a new division uh, where we were going to help train cryptologists that were going to deploy uh, in, in, in a variety of different things. So that was something new and interesting. Uh, I, I always had a problem when I was younger talking in front of large groups of people. And I decided to challenge myself uh, by taking on a role as an instructor uh, at an F school, which is basically a refresher type school. And that was in San Diego as well. So I did a, a double tour in San Diego, uh, nine years total. And uh, after that tour, I made E6. I was chief eligible, was pretty excited. I thought my career was really moving. And I said, how can I screw this all up? And I said, let's go recruiting. <laughs> um, so I, I decided to take a, a gig in recruiting from 2000 to 2004 here in Manchester, New Hampshire. And, uh, and that was not an easy, easy prospect. Uh, and, and if he hadn't, Bill, been, Bill, what do you, what do you mean? Stop, stop, stop. So 2000 <laughs> to 2004, uh, recruiting seems like it would be a very easy thing, right? Uh, a nation at war. Hey, why don't you come be a Navy SEAL? Uh, that's a definitely different turn in your career from, uh, sitting in front of a computer or an audio line and, and understanding like what's going on in Intel to dealing with the human element. So this is a huge change, right? So you're yep. C going, everything's going well. I'm in a routine. I've been in San Diego for six years. Have mercy on Bill and his bride enjoying San Diego. And then they move you to New Hampshire, which, uh, you know, while New Hampshire is very patriotic and, and very pro-military, uh, there's not a lot of people that are that are jumping over their desk to get out of New Hampshire and go join the military. So talk about how challenging recruiting is and how it was different from your job. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely challenging. I, when I first got in recruiting, the recruiting numbers were uh, what they were. They, the district in New England, they weren't making goal. Uh, so they were constantly missing. So of course that brought down pressure upon, uh, those who were out there beating feet and, and doing the recruiter gig. I put one sailor in, in my first month, uh, of the recruiter. And that's basically because my recruiter in charge said, Hey, I got this guy. Uh, so basically he handed me my first contract and then I went six months without writing a contract. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was so, it was so hard and we had bought a house and I just I saw I saw it all going down. I had gotten I had gotten invited down to Massachusetts, where district headquarters was, is in Boston. And I had a conversation with the uh, command master chief. And um, at that time, I, like I said, I was a pretty seasoned E6. I was chief eligible. And uh, he, he said, you know what? We they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Why couldn't I recruit people? And uh, and he, he had a bunch of chief petty officers sitting around a table. They were all taking little pieces of me. And then he said, you know what? He excused everybody. It was just him and I. And he said, you know what? 
I'm going to call you Bill. Bill, I like you. And by the way, a lot of people don't realize the Navy is very, very uh, anal when it comes to uh, interacting with junior individuals. We very rarely call each other by our first names. Uh, you know, so for him to take a second, second, say, Hey, Bill, uh, was, was kind of endearing. Um, he said, I like you, you seem like a really, really nice guy, but I'm going to give it to you clean. If you come down here next month for the same stuff, not writing a contract, I'm going to rip your friggin' head off. And <laughs> at that point I had never been motivated that way before in, in, in my time in the Navy. And I decided, uh, I needed to change some things and I needed to, to figure this recruiting thing out. And, and for the most part, I think I did. I, I started turning things around. Um, I wound up finishing that year uh, with about uh, 16 contracts, which, which you know, was pretty good. It's more than one a month. Um, and, and things were turning around. They made me the recruiter in charge. Uh, like I said, things were good. I did three years, and I picked up chief petty officer while I was in recruiting. So that was exciting. Uh, that was a huge, huge change for me. I mean, anybody who's been in the Navy, they know uh, – you know, promoting from E6 to E7, it's not just a promotion. It is a complete change of, of who you are. You know, in fact, in the Navy, to be called an E7 is an insult. Uh, that's, a, that's somebody who's a bad chief. They're, they're not going to address you as a chief petty officer. They're going to address you as an E7. Uh, that's, you know, that's not a good thing. So here I am. I'm, I'm a chief petty officer. I'm excited. And I, 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 wanna, I wound up uh, extending for a year in recruiting. I'd actually considered converting over to career recruiting, um, but decided against that. And as a result of finishing recruiting duty, uh, the United States Navy decided to reward me with another uh, three-year tour in Japan. <laughs> uh, you say you say reward, and uh, it's tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure. Uh, for, the, for, for those that are listening, like, Japan is a great adventure, but uh, ideally, you want to go back to San Diego where your wife's family is, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. But the the advantage there is my wife, my my sorry, my my daughter was born in Japan. Uh, she was always excited and always interested to to to, to see where she was born. Uh, we got to go back there. She was actually starting her her freshman year in high school, so she actually got to go through her entire. I I I went out to San. I went sorry, went out to Japan on the USS Mustin uh, destroyer that was relatively new. Uh, that was stationed in San Diego that changed home ports to Japan. So I got to ride the ship over and uh, I got to do three years out there. And then I got lucky enough to retour. And I say lucky because it really was lucky. Uh, we, we started to enjoy our tour there. We started to enjoy our time in Japan. My daughter loved it. And we got to stay there long enough for her to graduate high school. And she actually was there for about a year and a half as a, as a, uh, as a graduated individual without <laughs> without a job, but uh, I, I wound up spending a total of six years uh, added to my three years prior. So a total of nine years of my career was spent in Japan. Uh, we were actually in Japan when the earthquake uh, hit Fukushima. And uh, it's actually kind of a funny story because I was sitting in a polygrapher's chair as a, as a cryptologist. You got to do a, a polygraph every few years. And I was sitting in a polygrapher's chair when the big earthquake hit. And I was literally staring at the wall, trying to concentrate on the questions the polygrapher was asking me. And I noticed the walls and everything was shaking. And I actually, for a second, thought I was doing it. Uh, but when the building started rocking really hard, I looked at the polygrapher and said, well, this is not fair. <laughs> this, is, this, this test has got to be screwed up here. So we left and went into the parking lot to witness cars moving back and forth 
dramatically, uh, telephone poles banging like crazy. The earth was, it was scary. And uh, it subsided. And we went back and I finished up my polygraph. I know I dumped a lot on you there. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just wild to think about the earthquake. Uh, you captured me uh, watching cars move back and forth in a foreign country and uh, a polygraph. So very intimidating scenarios. So, both. Well, and you talked about your daughter uh, graduating high school. Uh, Alyssa, it sounds like you have a question. Go ahead and jump in. Yeah. Um, I think we went over it in the first episode, but can you go explain your job in the Navy, the cryptology? To some degree. Uh, so basically a cryptologist, um, there's different branches of them. I was a collections guy and I, I was a foreign, basically I was a foreign communications intelligence analyst. So I, I would collect foreign communications and analyze that and report on it. Awesome. Okay. So uh, you're you're now a chief. You're you're leading sailors. You've put sailors in the navy. You've you've brought people in from New Hampshire, and you're in a foreign country. Your family's uh, your family's aging in the service with you. And what what is it like? And we're talking about 2004, 2005. I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, what is it like? Um, that was actually 2006 to 2011. So actually, actually 2005 to 2011 timeframe. So what is it like uh, to be on, on, on the backside of a career and watching your family uh, enjoying the benefits of your service, but also being, being in the world of Japan and experiencing earthquakes? What's the good? What's the bad? What's the ugly? So actually, I... I I didn't consider myself on the backside of my career at that point. Um, and, and really, uh, strangely, I, I felt my career was just beginning. Um, when I did my last, my actually my first deployment on board the USS Mustin, uh, that was in 2005. And at that time, when I returned from that deployment, my wife had flown out from New Hampshire. She was still in New Hampshire at that time. And she had flown out to meet the ship in San Diego when it returned. And I remember telling her, you know, that, oh my God, that deployment was rough. I'm so glad I'll never have to do another one. And she said, well, don't sell yourself so short. You never know. You've got plenty of time. I'm like, no, I only got two years. I, got, I was in at that time, 18 years. I got two years to retire and I'm, I'm done. She's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yes, I am. And she's like, no, you're not. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And she's like, no, no, you're not done. And she basically convinced me to stay. And I'm telling you, initially I was, I was kind of hating on her because, you know, I thought at that time I really, really wanted to go, but I found a resurgence in my career and I, I, I rediscovered who I was and rediscovered what this Navy thing was all about. And I rediscovered what, uh, what it was to be a, a senior leader in the United States Navy. And I started to thrive off of it. I started to really, really enjoy it. Uh, I got picked up for senior chief. And uh, unfortunately, because I spent my first 16 plus years kind of messing around and not really taking things too seriously, I just put myself in a really, really bad position uh, where I, I just didn't have enough time to make Master Chief. Uh, and I was looking at, when I got to the 26-year mark, I was looking at potentially being separated because of high-year tenure. Uh, but that's kind of a couple more years down the road. 
Uh, so higher tenure for those that are listening is uh, when you've reached the extent that you can stay in for your rank. Uh, so e- even at the past 20 years, if you reach the point in your career where uh, you haven't promoted in a rank, the, the service that you're in will say, hey, thanks very much. Uh, we appreciate your service, but it's time for you to separate. And, and you can be a great sailor. You can be uh, an excellent sailor. And that still happens because of the way that manning is prescribed in each service. So uh, uh, very, very unique for, for everybody that's listening. Uh, but for you, uh, senior chief is a very admirable rank. Uh, and, and you did so much in your career is what it sounds like. Um, what is what is your family's benefit from all 20 is it 28 or 29 it was 29 what is the benefit for your family at 29 years of service um well i i'd like to think that i provided my daughter with a uh a, a decent education she went to her her you know, senior year, her freshman or senior year at a Department of Defense high school in, in Japan, a DOD high school. Uh, the, the, the learning is so much different there. Um, it, it was it was a great opportunity for her. I, I provided my daughter with the opportunity to travel around the world a little bit to kind of see a little bit of things. Um, I think at the end of the day, I was able to provide for my family. Uh, I know it was tough, like I said, many times on my wife having to be there by herself, but uh, she's a very independent woman and it really reinforced, reinforced her, her ability to, to be independent and not rely upon me uh, for things. And I, I think that just makes us better family unit uh, when it's all said and done. And, uh, and it, it was something that we were in it together. I mean, again, I was ready to walk at 20 and, and she, she really kind of you know, pushed me into to staying and, and I, I, I can't re- repay her for that. Uh, I, at first, I, I, I was regretting it. And at first, I was kind of holding it against her that she forced me to stay. But when I look back, uh, especially toward those last few years, I, I, I can be nothing but thankful for her her vision of where we were in our, in our lives and our vision for where we wanted to be and, and, and pushing me to, 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 to lock in and, and, and change. And, and like I said, the last... 12 years of my career were, were just awesome, awesome 12 years. I got to develop a lot of good sailors. I got to, uh, as, a, as a chief petty officer, going through, you know, leading, you know, I can't count the number of sailors I led in those last 12 years, but I, I've, I have a lot of them still reaching out to me today on Facebook telling me they got picked up for chief and they wanted to let me know and they wanted to thank me for uh, my 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 guidance and my mentorship and and it's stuff like that, that really makes you you appreciate uh, what it is to be a sailor and what it is to be a a leader in the sail in the Navy. Bill, I've, I've heard, uh, so you say the last 12 years of your career were fantastic. I've heard that life is a little bit better when you're wearing anchors in the Navy. Uh, It's just a a rumor that I might've heard along the way. Oh yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely much better when you put on anchors. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Without going into that too much, uh, we talked about the benefit for your family. What's the cost for you uh, as a service member going underway, Uh, haze gray and underway, getting on this uh, giant hunk of metal that floats and from, from that gray ship looking to the shore and seeing your daughter, uh, seeing your wife, and 
what what is it what is it what is the cost how would you describe the cost uh it's it's hard it really is um you know because i know for my wife she bought into it she she enlisted into it uh, at any given time she could have said bill you know, we're done let's get out of this canoe club uh my daughter didn't have a choice she she went where we told her to go she you know the schools she had to pick up and move from school when it was time to be. so she was really the um, you know, I'm not gonna say a victim, but she was really the one I think most impacted by, um, by the, by the fact that we were in the Navy. I, I like to think that she got some good out of it. Uh, again, she's always got a cool story to tell. She spent six years uh, of her, uh, of her life in Japan, she, uh, six years that she can remember. Uh, so she's got those stories to tell wherever she goes, but I always felt like, you know, and, and anybody who, who who out there who served in the military is going to know exactly how, what I'm saying here is sometimes you just feel bad because you're not there. You're not able to be there for your children. You're not able to be there for your your wife. Uh, the last five years I was in the Navy uh, just because of the way the situation was uh, with my wife and her job and my daughter with her going to school. Uh, I was a geographical bachelor. And for those who don't know what the term is, it's it's basically I, I was stationed in one place and my wife and daughter were in another location. And, and we did that for five years. And that was extremely trying and taxing on us. Uh, as a family unit, especially when you've got your wife calling you up crying, you know, profusely because the water heater blew and I'm not there to, to tell her what she needs to do to fix uh, the situation. You know, she just had to uh, pull up her bootstraps and, and go do it. So I don't know. Like I said, the, the trade-offs are just, it's hard. It's really hard to, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the wife and I have looked at each other multiple times and said we would never trade it in for the world. We would, you know, if we had to do it all over again, we'd do it. We do things a little differently, but we would do it all over again. Uh, the whole, the full time, the full ride, the, the full twenty nine years, we would do it. Um, and uh, I don't know if my daughter would say the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it costs her time with her father. Yeah. Um, fortunately for us, she lives <laughs> she lives in an apartment above my garage right now. Uh, so, and, and I have a good job, uh, that provides me some freedom from time to time. And when she calls me and needs something, am I able, if I'm able to get away, I, I'll go do it, uh, for her. Uh, and, and she's asked me, you know, before, you know, are you bothered by me calling you? And I was like, no, absolutely not. You know, for many years I served in the Navy. I wasn't around to be there for you. I'm here. I think I'm able to be here for you. So I'm going to make sure I am, if I can be there. And she's almost 30. Yeah, no, uh, making up for lost time, I'm sure. But in the same breath, like, you're, you're being a great dad. And uh, I'm sure that she appreciates you. But the cost is still the same while you're wearing the uniform and you're choosing to serve your nation. You are a man that's watching his daughter grow up uh, from, from a computer screen, from a phone call, or from a letter even. So I really appreciate your sacrifice to our nation, to our Navy, and to the sailors that you served with and for um, during your time. Alyssa, you've been uh, you've been you've been you've been super quiet, largely because I've been running my mouth. What what are some of your thoughts? I think it. It's important to recognize the sacrifices that the spouses and the children make as well. So it's really good to hear those stories. And I know, Art, I can hear the emotion a little bit in your voice because I know you have a daughter. So um, I can re definitely relate to that. So 
Um, and being a daddy's girl myself, um, we definitely appreciate our dads. So it's nice that you guys have that time now to really, and I think relationships as an adult now in having my dad and having that a relationship that's really respected from adult to adult is something that is so important and so appreciated. So I'm I'm really happy to hear that you have such good relationships surrounding you between your wife and your daughter. Thank you. That's incredible. So uh, at the 29 year mark, uh, you're hanging it up. You're 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 looking at the retirement day. Your uh, your retirement officer has been picked. And uh, did you did you have a ceremony? I did not. Uh, I wanted to. You did not. No, I did not. I I wanted to, uh, but the but the, at the time I was in Hawaii. My wife was in New Hampshire. Uh, she was she was had a good job. She couldn't get away the time, and you know I I didn't want to do a retirement ceremony without her uh, being there because again she she was a big part of my my time in in the military. So we'd always talked about potentially doing a retirement ceremony uh, when when I got here to New Hampshire. But life took over and, you know, got to get a job. And, and so, yeah, I never, re- I never got a retirement ceremony. I never did one. Yeah. So either way, your, your, your career is coming to a close there in Hawaii. Uh, I, I just have like this, this envisionment of a negative uh, 20 degree New Hampshire day and it's 69 <laughs> to 72 degrees in Hawaii. <laughs> and you make a phone call to your wife, like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, I hate you. Just don't call anymore and, and get the phone, uh, especially for a California girl. Uh, but well, what is what is it like for you? Twenty nine years is twenty nine years is a long time period. But when you're talking about a career in the military, twenty nine years is an eternity. It might not feel like it at the end of it, but while you're in the middle of it, or if you're at the beginning stage of a career, it's an eternity. And at 20, if you have 29 years in service, you're, you're really looked at like, uh, you know, a senior citizen, like they're grabbing the wheelchair to get you off the ship because you're an antique. Um, what was it like to look in the rearview mirror or to uh, leave, leave the command for the last time to, to take the uniform off and say like, well, this is this is it or to listen to the national anthem? the last time that you're saluting the ensign, uh, what was it like for you to close down that portion of your life? Oh, it was obviously surreal and somber and, you know, just memories flooding in. And of course, uh, interesting story. Uh, when I was on board, one of my last, my last duty station was in Hawaii and it was a deploying billet. Uh, they deployed me on two occasions. Facts: the reason why I didn't do a full 30 years, I probably could have gotten extension for that last year, but I knew they were going to deploy me again. I just, I, at that point, I was done deploying. Uh, but I was deployed on U, on the USS Macon Island, which is a uh, amphibious carrier out of San Diego, LHD-8. And while I was on board that ship, uh, we were about two and a half months into our eight month deployment, and I got. Um, I got a, a fellow chief petty officer from the ship coming up to me while I'm in the gym working out. And he's like, Hey, Bill, um, were you on the Missouri 
And I was like, yeah, actually, I served on board the Missouri in my first tour uh, in, in 1990 for about three months uh, for uh, an exercise off the coast of, of Hawaii called RIMPAC, Rim of the, Rim of the Pacific exercise uh, in 1990. It was basically the summer in Hawaii uh, on a on a battleship, which is probably the coolest way to spend the summer. And uh, he said, well, they, the Missouri's looking for you. And I'm like, what? And he said, yeah, the USS Missouri is looking for you. Well, keep in mind at this time, the USS Missouri is a, is a museum now. It is it is moored alongside or along Battleship Row along with the USS Alabama. And, and she is a museum. And she's been a museum at this point, you know, for at least 10 years. And, and I'm like, well, why are they looking for, they're looking for me? And he said, like, yeah, they're looking for you. So uh, I had reached out to the, uh, the folks at the Missouri from the uh, Facebook page. And they said they had found a letter of mine uh, that my wife had sent me. And this letter actually was, it was the letter that I had gotten from my wife when I was on board the USS Missouri in my first tour. It was the letter I had asked her to marry me before I had got on, on the way on that ship. And she said she didn't know. She didn't know if she was ready to leave everything that she knew uh, to go to New Hampshire. And um, when I got on the way, I still didn't have an answer. And about a month and a half into the trip, she sent me a letter. And that letter she sent me uh, said that she was going to move with me and we we're going to go back to New Hampshire and we're going to start our lives together. It's probably the coolest letter I ever got. Very, very happy to get it. So excited. I, I read I probably read it about a dozen times. Uh, and then I one one night I had come uh, back from reading the letter, was, had to go do something, and I had set the letter on top of my rack. And when I came back, I forgot I had put it there. Well, I had lifted up the coffin locker. And for those who didn't serve in the Navy on ships, coffin locker was a storage place, basically, where your mattress sits in a lid, and you get to lift the lid up, and there's storage to put stuff. But when you lift that rack up, when you lift that lid up, it forms a slope. And that slope put my letter in the back of the rack between the wall and the rack. 25 years later, the USS Missouri finds the letter. And they asked me if I want it back. So that, that wow. kind of reminds you of did, the entire career and where you come. Did you take, so it, did you take it back or did you leave it with the ship? No, I, I got it. I got it back. I was, I was actually kind of, kind of nervous about which letter it was because uh, we were young <laughs> and we were, <laughs> and we were, you never, you never know what's in the letter. They asked me if, uh, if they wanted to, they just want me to, they wanted to scan it and send it to me. And I said, have you folks read it? And is it something that should be scanned and sent? And I said, no, you're fine. You're perfectly fine. Uh, so, yeah, it was actually kind of cool. The Missouri did a story about it. Uh, the local uh, Hawaii papers did a story. And I believe it was covered in the union leader as well. Uh, so it was kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, it was something that was completely une unexpected. I, I had no idea at that point that I even, even lost the letter. But it was so poignant to me when they showed it to me. It was the letter that decided that this was the time that the wife and I were, we were going to start our, our, our marriage together. And here we are 25 years later on our 25-year anniversary. I'm getting this letter uh, back. So it was kind of cool. That is so and, cool. And, and for and those that are listening, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those that are listening, they're like, wow, your wife's really harsh, not, not knowing if she wants to be with you. But if anybody's ever experienced like San Diego versus New Hampshire, like there's, there's a, 
you, you got to be an incredible man, Bill, to trade San Diego for New Hampshire. Like I've been to both places and I got to say, uh, you'd have to be pretty spectacular for me to move from California to New Hampshire to be with you, you know? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Not for anything else, but the climate. San Diego is like, it's, it's weather magic. It really is. It is. Well, I think that's a good place to pause for the second part. Um, kind of comes full circle. Your wife's following you to Japan and then here you are getting the letter 25 years later, say where she said yes to you. Um, it's a really incredible and kind of uplifting story. Um, all right. Thank you for joining us for the second part of Bill's story for part three, tune in to the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.